A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Chris, or sometimes in some places called Charles, Dove. He's a data architect at Endava. To be clear, though, he was only representing his own views on this episode. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Chris's point of view. Number one, data used for only one use case, you know, in one way is not how you make your money. It's not how you get the value of leveraging data. It's too expensive to create and, and maintain. So set yourself up to reuse data and make sure the organization is aware of what data is available to increase more reuse. Number two, potentially controversial, tooling around data, especially met- metadata, has gotten better. But is it good yet? Eh. There are still some major fundamental gaps that seem like basic blocking and tackling around sharing data. Number three, I really like this one. Data isn't the point. It's merely a vehicle for exchanging information. Number four, far too often there is an implicit understanding of a taxonomy or shared terms and, and things like that in different business units that is actually incorrect which leads to misunderstandings and mismatched data being treated as if it's the same. But it's not easy to make all aspects of all parts of data explicit and easily understandable. We have to invest and find good ways to do that. It's not just going to happen. And there's way too many misunderstandings. Number five, I think this one is really incrementally important. I I really hadn't thought of this. Business people in domains often don't understand their own data because it's embedded in an application. So they only experience that data 
in a context that is already framed for them by the application. So they don't think about someone else not understanding that data inherently because the others aren't experiencing it through that same application. So it's really easy for business people and people inside the domains, even the software engineers, to not understand why people aren't just getting it. You know, why don't you really understand this exact concept? Because you're not experiencing it the same way. This is why I think a lot of people are saying every uh, domain team needs to consume from their own data products as well. So they have the same understanding as everybody else. Number six, getting to quote unquote, good enough level of documentation is crucial to prevent misuse of data based on misunderstandings. But every organization has to figure out what that good enough is, right? And how to get there, what level of documentation is required. There isn't a blueprint. There isn't a, you must be this good, and then you're good enough. Number seven, a constant challenge in data is implicit assumptions by producers around, you know, these consumers, they work here, so they get this, they know this, instead of documenting some of this nuance. This leads to the misunderstandings based on incomplete documentation. Number eight, beware the TLA or the three-letter acronym in data documentation, right? We have these acronyms and they mean a lot. There's a lot of embedded context for those with the domain knowledge, but it's not helpful for those without the understanding of it. It makes it even harder to unpack. Focus on explaining the concepts at a level an outsider can understand. Number nine, potentially controversial, the point of data literacy isn't to teach everyone technical skills. It's to get to an understanding of people's own data and how to share the context of, of their data so others can get a decent understanding of what they're doing of their domain and their data. If a good use case emerges, we don't need everyone to be able to create and maintain a data product, and, you know, every single person in the company. But we need an organizational understanding of what data might be available and, and what it really means. Number 10, tribal knowledge is a double-edged sword. I think we all know this. It's great your organization has that knowledge, but it's a massive risk point. Get it out of people's heads as much as possible. One thing I've noted is find low friction ways like interviewing people and recording that instead of asking them to do all this documentation to extract their context. That's kind of what I'm doing with this podcast. Instead of just asking everybody to write articles, I'm extracting their, their context. Number 11, most organizations don't have a great data documentation strategy or practice. It's better to get going with learning how to share information about your data than to try and make your data documentation or your documentation strategy perfect upfront. Get something in place and recognize technical debt and that you're accumulating it and that you want to pay it down. But something is better than nothing if it's not the end state, if you understand that it will evolve. And so do the consumers. They understand it's not perfect, but you're, you're getting there. Number 12. Trapped metadata, you know, where tools try to enforce a closed system instead of easily offering up critical information for ingestion by other systems, is a persistent problem that doesn't seem to be getting any better. It's even worse when you write your custom code to do transformations because most people aren't creating the necessary metadata around those transformations at all. So then people really can't understand where this came from and how it came to be. Number 13, we need vendors to be 
bought in that publishing their metadata is the right move and head towards metadata standards to make creating a more complete picture via metadata easy slash feasible. Some vendors are moving in that direction, notably Chris mentioned Atland and data.world. Number 14, truly getting people to change the way they think and feel, not just how they do their work, is an incredibly difficult challenge that most companies don't ever really address. Make the changes in ways of working a value add to actually change hearts and minds. Yes, easier said than done, but something I talk about constantly is when I ask people to be on the podcast, I make it mutually beneficial. I don't say, I want you to come on and just talk about this. I'm like, what would be fun for you to talk about? Think about ways to not just, you know, hit them over the head, you know, with the, the stick, find carrots to change their, their hearts and minds. Number 15, to do data mesh well, we need to figure out scalable and highly effective ways of communicating changes. Just offering data product versions won't cut it. To do that, data producers need to know how their data is used as well. Finally, number 16, companies need to really see and understand the business benefit from their data before they are likely to change their ways of working around data. This can be a chicken and egg issue, though. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Chris Dove here, who is a data architect at Endava, but to be clear, he is representing only his own views. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things kind of around data mesh in general. Um, You know, how do we really think about the global metadata aspect and not just like kind of the documentation of each individual data product within data mesh? Like, what do we actually have to do so differently about governance in a federated model. You know, uh, Jamak has talked about this as well, that we can't really do data mesh as, as envisioned right now. So what can we do? What value can we add? Where, where can we go with this right now? And, and some other things that we're just going to kind of weave in throughout there. And so, uh, but before we, we jump into that, uh, Chris, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure. Thank you, Scott. Um, my name is Chris Dove. You'll see me as Charles in a lot of places, but I go by Chris. Uh, I've been working with data environments as a, a data warehouse analyst, a ETL developer and analyst and solution architect, and currently working as a data architect for Endava. Uh, I've been doing this for probably 20 plus years now and seeing everything from mainframe data warehouses to fully distributed systems. Awesome. And, and I think that perspective, it's, it's funny how many people either fall on one camp or the other of, Hey, uh, I've been seeing this stuff that we've been doing for a long time and it's no longer working, or maybe even it, it, 
it had its challenges even when and that, you know, in these certain environments, it's uh, it's kind of uh, meeting its scaling limitations and things like that. And so um, but, you know, there are some that say, oh, no, 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 data mesh can never work. We can't do federated. We can't do that. So I'm interested to see as somebody who's been working on the data side for so long, kind of your perspective on a lot of this. So I, I think a good place to start is kind of how do you think about in a distributed federated type of approach, we have tried to do that historically in the 80s with data marts, right? And the data marts were only facing at the domain. They weren't facing for the rest of the organization to actually leverage them. So, you know, that's kind of one aspect, but just saying, okay, now other people can consume from this, you still create data silos. So how do you think about what level we need to do from metadata? Like, what do we need to do from metadata to make it that people can actually go into these domains, understand their data and, and interoperate and combine those across, you know, huge, huge question. But like, where, where do you start to think about that question? Yeah, the, I think you've got two problems and you have to come at it from two different directions. One is the people, both from the consumer, but also the producer of the data. Um, but also you have to look at what the tools will allow today versus what they we hope they will allow going forward. I mean, the tools have gotten better, particularly as you move almost entirely to cloud, but there's still, there's boundaries. You Getting operational metadata, getting uh, cloud-sourced metadata, crowd-sourced metadata from different business units, because uh, you look at sales, and they may consider everybody a customer, including a prospect. You look at finance, on the other hand, and they're going to tell you a customer is somebody we we get a bill to and we get money from. So, you know, having the ability to do synonyms, homonyms, a thesaurus on top of your business metadata, but that leads directly into the physical data is critical. And I think it's difficult today because there's no single tool or tooling that's available that would pretty much let you reach into a Matillion, an Informatica, a data stage, Python code, R, whatever, and pull back both operational, physical, and transformational metadata and combine it to at a business level where it's understandable. I think... This is something that I've been talking about as the trapped metadata problem as well, where you're talking about something has to go in and reach into into these systems. But these systems uh, vendors have a, a vested interest in locking this metadata in. And so you're not, you know, you go, OK, well, we want you to, to open this up because this system is very important to us and we need this information from it. And they're like, well that's going to re release my iron grip on you. And so, you know, there are the things like open metadata and, you know, a lot of the, uh, the new tooling is, is creating certain ways to share that information via API, but it doesn't do it very well. And, and, you know, everybody wants to be the main pane of glass, which I say the main pane of glass makes you a major pain in the ass, right? Like <laughs> that, that if you're trying to be, instead of being in somebody's workflow. So 
let's talk about the the organizational aspect of organizing your metadata, not even the the people organizational side, but like you were talking about kind of a taxonomy and being able to share and understand between different um, different uh, domains. But there's kind of the, do you have a global taxonomy that everybody has to adhere to and that you define, and then that becomes overly rigid? Or do you have one-to-one data integration between, okay, this thing in this use case means X. So we'll match up on that. Like, I mean, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. How do you think about that? I I think you run into the, the same problem I was using the example for before is that, you know, different business units look at the same data and it doesn't have the same meaning because it had a very specific meaning at the source application layer. But now you've got somebody who's using it, who is maybe making projections, simple projections. So we're talking business analytics as opposed to data science here. And they don't know what the difference is. Um, I've actually encountered this in previous positions working with other companies. Um, The personal banking business called a amount and it, and it had interest based on the rate that was per, given to that customer, whether it was business or personal. We went to the loan, hard loan side, which was all business operational, commercial, and that amount did not factor in any specific or special terms. But you're putting it in a data warehouse that all, that has the exact same field, and it's supposed to mean the same thing. And this is why I said we've we got to get to a point where we can do synonyms, homonyms. You know, sounds like, looks like, is a flavor of, but that, but we have to have some level of description. So you know, you're starting to organize your data around the idea that there's a basic taxonomy, but then there's you know, you're moving into things that. They're leaves of the taxonomy, right? They're not clear. They're not, in this case, it's X. In this case, it's X1 type of situation. And that's hard. It's very hard because it really requires people to do that. Not just in, not just metadata as data, but it requires people understanding what that really means in each case and laying it out. So, yeah, I, I think... Um what you're talking about there it with the taxonomy aspect of things we've had a bunch of people on recently that have been talking about this and how much pre-work is done and that you don't necessarily get the value from it right away and and that you also have to continually evolve it and in data we we do think about the ongoing cost of things, but it's not as much of a frontline thing. People think of, okay, I'm going to um, pay for this and most of the, the, the cost is up front. And, you know, when we think about kind of moving to operational, uh, operationalizing our data uh, practices, we're kind of moving away from that, right? We're, we have to think about the ongoing support. We have to think about the ongoing evolution. Um, and so like if someone were to come to you and say, okay, how much do I do up front or how much do I, I not do up front or how much of this is on 
the producing domain to share so everybody can understand it versus um, share it in such a way that um, that somebody who has the use case will come to you when they can't understand it? Like, how do you think about that conversation? Or is it different for every organization? I think it's different for every organization because um, every organization has some level of data management, whether it's formalized or it's entirely, you know, organic. Um, I think some of the tools are working towards resolving some of these issues because they start doing what they refer to as crowdsourcing the business metadata around these things. So it's the meaning, but I think there's a inherent upfront inherent requirement from the source supplier of data to have an accurate description of what their data means. Now, does that mean that they're giving it in a true business term or are they giving it from the application business user term? That's where I think we run into our problem is that what we end up with is a description from the business, but it's the business that's using the application. It's not the business consuming the data without the application in front of them. And um, because I've run into that a number of times where, you know, the application says X is an interest rate. Well, okay. Is it an interest rate for what? <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, the user of the application understands fully, oh, that's the interest rate that we guaranteed the customer outside of the campaign's normal rate. Wonderful. How does anybody downstream know that? Because they're not in the application. How can they build a new campaign and offer favorable terms, right? So I think you've got, there's a, there's a fine line where you start with the source and they have to give accuracy about what they're telling you. But at the same time, they have to talk about what the caveats are, right? They've got to, they've got to step away from it slightly and say, in the application, it's used as, right? Because now the business consumer who doesn't have the application can say, oh, really? <laughs> and maybe add some further color to it or add some further definition or say, okay, if you combine it with another attribute, it actually means what we normally think of it in my business unit. So I think you've got a, a, a hard requirement on your source to be as accurate as possible in a descriptive way. But where do you go from there? Right. Because it doesn't always mean the same thing. Yeah. And, and it's funny, there's been a couple of different approaches recently uh, that guests have, have mentioned Amara Gafur at ThoughtWorks was saying that you don't um, expose your, your source aligned data products because there's too much um, specific operational context in those and decontextualizing them into such a way that anybody can understand them just doesn't work. And so then the only way that you're exposing the data is when there's a direct use case and you are you're creating these kind of pools of, of data to support additional use cases and that you're creating it in such a way that you can do that, but that, and you have kind of a stable way of, of providing data to these, these consumer aligned data products for um, supporting a use case, but that 
trying to completely decontextualize it and then document what it means for somebody that that doesn't understand it is very, very difficult, if not impossible. And Carlos Sauna talked about their their documentation is if you understand the domain, you should understand the documentation. If you can't under, if you understand how the domain works and you don't understand the documentation, then the the data product owner um, hasn't done their documentation correctly. But if you don't know anything about the domain and you just stumble across the data product, they can't document it to such a level that somebody who doesn't know the domain can all of a sudden get all the way up to speed on it. Cause then do you have that for every single data product within that domain? It just, it creates such a high bar. And so I think that balancing act is something that's difficult as to how much, how, how deeply do you document and how deeply, how do you think about when you're sharing data, how much do you want to decontextualize that information from the domain and how that domain is working. You want to decontextualize it from the operational system, how it's stored in the operational mm-hmm. system, but not the actual operations that it's supporting, right? Like that's important right. business aspect and logic. Yeah, I think the I think the problem the problem is you're stating it, and I understand the way people are viewing it. You can't. There's a certain amount of decontextualization that has to occur for a product to be generically used. Um, to your point, if somebody doesn't understand the domain, they're not going to be, they're going to like look at it and say, Oh, customer ID. Cool. And right. And they don't know what it really means in that domain. But I think this comes back to, is it just about the data? Because if I'm a product owner of a domain, I should be able to give a certain level without going into like writing, you know, a 187 page PDF, I should be able to give some basic contextual meaning by giving a domain explanation. And I think this is where we automatically assume that people understand the domain because they're working in our company. And that's not really the case. What happens when you have, you know, a new financial ad person come in. They've got to come up to speed on what the domain is in your personal line of business as opposed to your commercial line of business and what the terms are that your business uses. Because as we all know, this is a a realm littered, (laughs) and I don't like that term, but it's really looked what it feels like, littered with acronyms. And the acronyms are specific to the company, but they're also specific to the domain. So, you know, having the domain give a simple documentary about itself and what it does and what it's capable of would be the entry point at that point. So, and this is where we get start getting into the socialization as opposed to, oh, no, we need to put this person under somebody's wing for the next four months for them to figure out what all this stuff means, right? Give them a starting point where they can self-teach themselves, come up to some level of speed. And then if they start trying to use it and it doesn't seem to make sense, give them a point of contact about the domain itself, the details of the domain. Yeah, I've talked about with data products. I think um, 
instead of a full scale presentation, but you just have somebody, you have like three, four people in the domain record a five minute uh, session where you just have, you know, four or five questions that they answer about the data product. And all they're doing is just talking into the camera about it. And they're saying, oh, yeah, okay, this question. Okay, this is how I view it. Because you're going to get even multiple angles on it from within the domain. And it's not that this is the exact authority versus here are ways to think about it. Here's additional information. Layer it on top of each other. Combine that together. Because that's how human cognition works. So if we're trying to share data, having that kind of multiple perspectives and that, that, you know, thinking is just how we match up. But so you're, you're not a fan of the TLAs, the three letter acronyms. <laughs> I've come from companies where I've taken a course on, on their technology and the one that always laughed and most people are going to feel like I'm a dinosaur, but I was taking a course at IBM about SNA, which is their networking architecture. And the very first thing in the course, the guy puts up a slide and it's got a, a guy folded up inside of a cardboard box. And literally he said, take a look at this page. This is you in 30 minutes. He said, there are 400 brand new acronyms that you're going to hear flying around. Don't worry about them. It's the concept you need to understand. And I think this is where we get, we, we miss the point is you teach the concept about that domain and people will start grasping when you start using in your sentences, you start per force, you use the acronym because the acronym conveys a large amount of information to a domain knowledgeable person, right? It's shorthand. We can't avoid it. <laughs> you know, otherwise we'd be speaking in Dickens terms, <laughs> Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lines to a paragraph. Yeah. Uh, or James Joyce, I think. He, he, yeah. I think he had like a 500-page book and had like 14 sentences in it. Just, <laughs> just all <laughs> semicolons and, yeah, run-on sentences. So, um, exactly. So, like, when we are – so, we're thinking about how we actually communicate with each other. Some of this is is – um, data literacy, but a lot of it is also kind of almost reverse literacy about like uh, literating, I don't know, like of, of the teaching of the, the mm-hmm. kind of sharing that. So when we think about governance in general, like data literacy kind of falls under that. It's data culture. Like it's so easy to kind of have everybody in their own little world. How do you actually look at doing, you know, federated governance in a scalable way in a way that that doesn't just create chaos and doesn't create uh, nobody being able to interoperate with each other and that you know you've got kind of these uh bubble gum and and uh paperclip <laughs> kind of bridges between everything for your data right. integration and all that yeah i think i think this is where um data literacy takes a different meaning than what the way a lot of people use it i think data literacy is more about Getting people to understand their own data in general, not, not, not down at the, the attribute level maybe, but understanding this data comes from that system. What is that data, right? I mean, and we're talking a paragraph here, right? I have a simple definition in my head. 
that's accurate to what that domain does, right? I may not work with any of that domain's data, but if somebody asked me in the hall, where would I go to find out about this? I can point them to something and say, here's the clearest definition we have got about what this means to us as a business, right? Because it's at the end of the day, what you end up with is each of these domains is usually wrapped to one or more applications and they have very specific terminology within their world and it has very specific meaning. If you can't state what your domain does, then I think you've got a much larger problem. And that's just, that's the simple point of data literacy, right? Get away from the tribal knowledge and get to the point where there's some clear upper level definitions, if you will, that make it such that you can take a brand new person who's straight out of college and you can start ramping them up in your business. Or more, more importantly, let's say you bring in an outsider. They've got certain skills that you really want to bring into your organization, but they've never worked in your vertical before. You know, they're moving from manufacturing into a finance situation. Holy crud. I mean, the terminology is going to sound the same and a lot of the regulations are the same, but do they mean the same in your business? Right. And I think this is where, you know, you and I talked about this before. Data mesh is a is a socio technical problem and framework. It's not a pure technical framework. I think there's things you have to change about the way your business views data and the way they talk to each other. Because how many times have we been with a customer and we've got two different groups in the room and they keep saying the same words in the same sentence and they do not mean the same thing but they think they do. So they come out of there thinking we're all in agreement and you produce something six months later and one of them is unhappy. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I think literacy falls into one of those where governance should be the driver for literacy, but it's not the reason for literacy. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, um, those uh, miscommunications are are part of what Data Mesh is trying to get to is that the people who actually know the business information are also then going to be the ones that are helping to design how the data gets communicated internally because they're, it's it's not that you're playing telephone with two hops. You're only playing it with one hop and that you're having a direct conversation between the producer and the consumer and that you kind of get them to actually talk to each other, which I think is really crucial. So, you know, when you are thinking about what is necessary from governance, right? Like how do you think about the evolution? Because I, I think we can all picture the end thing of, oh, our data is easily interoperable and everybody <laughs> understands risk controls and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, great. How we, it's not a switch. How do we get there? So is there anything you would tell people from that perspective of how to get going? Yeah, I would say there's a lot of people walking around in your organization who have some really, really valuable information in their head. And if you dig a little bit, what you're going to find is that, oh, go talk to them. Oh, go talk to them. And about the third time you hear, go talk to this same person. 
you need to be having a straight up interview and trying to get the information out of their head and get it where it's available to a wider audience. Um, I personally am working with a client and it scares me sometimes when I'm working with them because there is so much what, what we in the business call tribal knowledge that's hiding in about four people's heads that it's, it just frightens me because it's a beer truck situation. If one of them or more than one of them gets hit by a beer truck, there is going to be some serious problems in that organization. And I keep, trying to edge them towards getting that out where it's publicly available information. Um, I've actually got a use case that I've been trying to document for them. Um, they brought in a new developer to the, one of their teams and that developer was given a task straight off a TFS board and he did his task and he put the database objects in the wrong database because he did not know that's where he wasn't supposed to be putting them. He was supposed to be putting them in database, another database altogether. And I was like, really? And, and why isn't this something that would just be here? Go take a look at this page. It'll tell you where to go find which one to put it in. Right. That's a perfect example of valuable information that's sitting there in somebody's head. And, Nothing except talking to them would clarify the problem. And I'm like, and this guy's an employee. He's not a newbie. He's he's worked for other groups inside this this particular client. But he comes to this group and he's given a task and he's like, sure, let me see the spec. He looks at the spec, starts doing the correct changes, and then all of a sudden finds out, nope, wrong place. We don't want it there. <laughs> That's not where it's supposed to go. So... Yeah. And it kind of reminds me a little bit about those horror stories of like the intern dropping the production database. And it's like, well, they shouldn't have been able to do that in the first place. Like there should have been uh, yeah. safeguards, but also clear communication about that and, and mm -hmm. all of that. So, yeah, I, I think, I mean, how do you think then about, so you'd saying go and go and interview these people, but let's say you've got the information where do you think people start? What, what I'm hearing a lot is that uh, start with things that aren't going to be super risky so you can learn and iterate and not get it and get it wrong. And it's not costly to get it wrong. And that you also have to work with people so that they can understand both consumers and producers that this is going to change mm -hmm. and that that hasn't been a thing in data, right? Like, when there's been a change in data, it's been breaking and it's been problems. And so everybody has these scar tissue around any changes are bad and, and we can we must lock to this versus we need to iterate together. Yeah. And I think that's, I think what they're missing is the, it's giving them a good piece of information of where to start. What happens when something breaks downstream? Who do they scream at? Right. Obviously, they go through the help desk process to get it fixed, but where does that scream end up occurring, right? Who is Who ends up being the responsible parties? How would they document that they fixed it so that the user not just looks at a result and says it's right now, but other people see, oh, we did X, now we're doing Y, Y is what it really is supposed to be where is that documented, right? 
because that's your that's your entry point. Maybe it's not the best point because it's not a metadata tool, it's not a pure business documentation tool, but it's your entry point. It's a fact, it's a knowledge base, it's something, right? Because a lot of people ignore I'm and I've seen this a lot with business and IT having that kind of divide. There's a knowledge base out there about what's in what database, but the business doesn't know how to use it because they don't even know what question to ask of it because it's, you know, it's a bunch of posted blurbs, blobs, you know, wiki, whatever. And the business doesn't know about it because IT only knows about it. By the same token, the business is doing the same thing. They've got a they've got a wiki or something out there where they teach people, right? It might be a Word document. It might be this massive SharePoint site. Who knows? But we're not sharing information across the divide. And that's, you know, when you can share the pain, that's the point where you're putting it together to try to take some of the pain away. Uh, and I think that's where we, that's that would be the entry point. I think for most organizations, particularly when they're not very data mature or they don't have a very well formalized data management strategy involved, because the data management strategy would automatically say, here's how you document this. So it's consumable by IT, but it's also consumable by the consumer. Yeah, I think a lot of what you're talking about there is... um, there I've had a couple of episodes that are are have hit on this and and everything is just get people talking to each other just get people exchanging context mm-hmm. and getting people into the same room and or, or you know uh, maybe the same zoom instead of the same room <laughs> but um that we far too often we don't really think about what somebody else should know and and I, I have that a lot where I'll get going on something and be like, okay, hold on. I'm, I'm going to stop and ask, do you know these three things? And most of the time people go, yeah, yeah, of course I know those things. And it's like, okay, but if you didn't, then you wouldn't understand anything that I'm talking about. So I want to make sure even and that, that we have to get to a place internally where that's not a big deal of somebody saying, no, I don't get it. Or I don't, you know, that we... Um, really stop and, and pop up to a higher level and say, okay, let's talk about, like you were saying earlier, what does this actually mean for the business? Not what what am I going to use as my direct definition versus why are we doing this? What happens when this doesn't go wrong or g- goes wrong? Or what happens if we do this really well? Or why, what are we trying to achieve? That we yeah. just don't share that because we're sharing too much of the ones and zeros of data instead of the information. Yeah, it's to your point. Data is a vehicle. What we need to be sharing is how did you open the how do you open the car door and how do you start the car and what do you need to do to get the car to start? You need fuel of some kind, whether it's a battery or gas. You know, key has to go into an ignition, right? Even if that's just a control point and it doesn't do anything, you don't turn it. It doesn't start a combustion engine. But to your point. We need to start trying to trade the knowledge, not the data, because the knowledge is the piece that makes the difference. As I once told one of my managers, this has probably been 10 years ago, I said, 
I held up a sheet of paper that was a that was a printout from a small PDF, and I said, "This is data. You reading it is knowledge. You taking action on it is intelligence." And she looked at me like I was coming from out of the trees. But it, you know, we got tons of data. I mean, this is one of the things that I just had a small presentation internally about. Metadata allows you to get around rot because companies are trying to reduce how much data they're storing because their data bills just for storage are starting to get massive for a lot of companies, right? Without the knowledge, I need this data, whether it's from compliance perspective or it's actual consumer use, scientist analytics, reporting, dashboards, whatever, without the information around it, it's just a thing. It's just, you know, more baggage you're lugging around. And I think this is what we're not, we're failing to trade, right? We're, we want to, we're down at the data and consume level and we're not thinking about the information we need to be passing back and forth about. What does this mean from a business use perspective? What did it mean to the business? We produced X number of widgets on this manufacturing line through this shift, right? Or we sold this many wealth management plans over the last 30 days in the low end. The point being is that it's, it's information about the area. It's not just a piece of data. Yeah. I, I, so Marisa Fish talked about this a little bit and I kind of extended it, but um, there are three reasons that you're exchanging information and you need to be very crisp on both sides as to why right? Am I giving you additional information for you to form your own opinions? Or am I giving you the information and the insights that I've gleaned from that? Or am I giving you the insights and the so what? What are you supposed to do with that insight? And far too often, people on the producer side are giving just the information and the people on the other side are expecting the so what. And so then it's just like, there's no, there's no insight even in the middle because they're like, the, the consumer is expecting the insight to be generated and the producer is like, oh, they just want the information to generate their own insights. And yep. it's like coming together and saying, okay, who, who's doing what in this information exchange? It just, it, or this knowledge exchange, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. So, um, you know, I, I kind of want to wrap this into the thing that we had talked about previously as well as, um, you know, even from an organizational standpoint, like we need to get better about exchanging this information appropriately. But like when we think about data mesh, we can't just do this in tooling, obviously. It would that we could, right? Like it would be very nice if we just had a knowledge graph and it just did all of this for us. Um, but we're also seeing a lot of people really struggling with the, the tooling aspect. So I'd like to talk about what we can get to now. What can we actually do around data mesh now versus the, the long run, right? And, and where do we need the tools to go? Where are they lacking, you know, from your perspective on this? Because um, this seems to be the, the question nobody's really saying out loud outside of maybe Jmac is saying, you know, hey, the tooling isn't here yet. And, um, you know, the tooling vendors are trying to say, no, 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 you can use us and it's perfect. And, and it's, we're already future proof and all this, but like, 
what can we do now and and where do we need the tools to evolve i think the biggest biggest problems we're running into is the tools want to be well let me back up i shouldn't say the tools because the tools covers a lot too much ground i think where you use a specific company's tooling you're living in their environment does their environment interface to the outside world right and i think this is where we're there are some companies and i'm going to use etl vendors because they're probably the easiest one for everybody to look into and say oh yes i understand that one completely right of all the etl vendors i have worked with and used their tools i would have to say that i've only worked with two out of probably seven of the major that literally they give you the description and the API insert that you can go get their data, right? What most companies do is it's a closed world. It's a closed environment. They'll give you, well, we'll give you 10% of our data, right? And I think this is where we're running into our problems. So having something like open meta out there, um, you can write code to go get metadata out of other tools helps. But I think you still run into the problem of ETL tool as using ETL as the subject area, ETL tool versus custom code. Somebody writes custom Python code. It's a lot harder to get information out of that thing, right? And there are ways to do it, but it's not simple. Uh, so I think one of the problems we're facing is that you can get some of some of these vendors now allow you to get at their data. They won't give you all of it, but they will give you much more than they used to in the past. But the problem you're running into is that if it's not a tool, if it's somebody's custom code, that takes a person doing some legwork underneath the covers. And that costs money. It costs time. If you start out with the idea that they have to document this stuff, say with Lint or whatever, uh, so that it's consumable and it follows a specific format, then you've solved one of your major problems right there because now you've got something you can consume. You can always write an API hook onto that or a tool that will let you pull it into a repository where it can be used. But I think that's where we face our biggest problems today. If you try to implement a data mesh, they're like, no, 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 this is just too much work. We've got too much code out here. We've got too many different things, right? We've got some people over on Altrix. We've got some people up here in Informatica Cloud. Oh, we got the guys over on the mainframe and they're using data stage, right? And some of those you can get data out of um, more so today than you could, but they're still not at a point where it's like a fair trade, right? They still do not completely open the front door and say, here, come suck our data out, right? Yeah, I think um, one company that's trying to do that more is, is Atlin because they're trying to do exactly that. And, and I think more companies that are doing it need to talk about it because where I think we need is, you know, it's again that trapped metadata problem of, you know, anytime data is flowing through a system, 
that system may go and grab metadata from another system. And so then you're like keeping everything up to date. Um, my, my kind of theory as to how this would work in a perfect world, I don't think vendors are going to ad- adhere to this, but that everybody has a broadcast mechanism and they broadcast out their metadata and that they kind of market as primary or secondary, right? And so that if it's secondary metadata, then it's like, okay, I'm not going to consume this secondary metadata because I'm going to go to the primary source. And it doesn't have to have, you know, but like everybody's broadcasting out, I've got this metadata. And so, you know, when a new deploy happens of the data product, then the catalog off is, is listening and it says, oh, there's a new version of this or there's a new deploy. And then it can even say, okay, I'm going to do uh, kind of change data capture almost between this, you know, kind of comparative uh, change of, of what's changed in this documentation. And any listeners will get alerted that, that one, there was a new deploy and two, that there was change in the documentation. And so that anybody can go and see that and that, or that you can say, we are deploying this in X amount of, uh, of days. So this is a, a, uh, a non-breaking change, but it's an additive change. And then those people that are consuming from it can know it. So it's just, there's all these little things where I think we can get to a really good communication aspect, but it, <laughs> I don't think the vendors are going to play, right? Well, hey, ODBC is pretty common. That had to come about because of vendors, right? I mean, eventually we're going to have to get to something that's commonly operational. Maybe it's not 100% from each, each vendor, but the base framework of what we can get should be there. Like I said, I've worked with some tools where they completely published their metadata. You know, they didn't they didn't broadcast it as you suggest, but they completely published the definition of what their metadata was and what they captured. Um, so I think it's I think some tools are better than others. I think tools like Atlan are a good start. Data world data dot world is moving towards that direction. Um, they're approaching it from two perspectives. They're approaching it from the people and the process perspective. Um, you know, and that's where I got the crowdsourcing of metadata, right? Particularly business metadata. Um, so I think one of the problems we face going forward is can we get people to agree on a common ground? Right. I think, I think you're never going to get a particular vendor, particularly a large vendor, to open the whole door on what they have under their cover. And I, you know, I understand that, but I think we should be able to get to a common ground between tools that says, this is what I will publish and I will always publish this and you can get this. It's the same stuff you would get from any other tool that you substituted, right? Yeah, like a standardized API or something. Uh, or just. So, you know, you're talking about a standard API. Maybe it's not a standard API. Maybe it's um, a standard format or a standard set of outputs, right? Because different vendors are going to give you different entry points into their world. Maybe you have to go to their private data repository, right? Maybe they're put on top of something like an Oracle. Who knows, 
right? So maybe it's not an API, but it's going to have to come down to a point of common information format, right? Whether it's CSV, API, query into a data store with a private call, it's not going to matter, but the data coming out needs to be the same things you can get from any vendor. Yeah, I, I think uh, as we're seeing with kind of the data contract conversation of uh, this stuff has been a little bit ignored <laughs> or, or it's been a pain point that, that everybody's had, but it hasn't been addressed at all. Yeah, I think most com- most companies that have switched tooling because they moved from one environment to another have gone through this pain pretty seriously. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, so uh, one thing that I wanted to um, wrap up on in general, just kind of as we're heading towards the end of the conversation, is we talked about it a little bit earlier at the beginning about data mesh is very different, right? We need to think about our data ecosystem and how it's going to evolve and like what have we learned from the past versus what do we know now, right? Like data mesh, if it's just data marts that are, you know, not interconnected in any way, it's not going to be successful. So, but you can't, design everything, you can't get it all done up front, right? Then you're going to be doing this five-year thing and the the organization in the world will have changed so significantly, you know, even drastic example, but something in February of 2020 versus April or May of 2020, the world literally had changed, right? Like it had been such a drastic difference. So um, when you're talking with organizations about what they need to do, like where where do you tell them to start or where do you tell them that they're going to have the most challenges where have you seen the most challenges in figuring out that they can adapt or that they they like are trying to do the same thing over and over and that we're just you know insanity doing the same <laughs> thing over and over and expecting different results right um i think the biggest problem that i see along those lines that i consistently see is a repeating example um is that truly doing the change for people, the way your people think is the big problem. I mean, one of the things you see in data governance that's said by everybody, everybody is responsible for the data. Well, okay, really? Let's think about that one for a second. Do you do you really make that a, a, a employee tenant? You know, something that they feel um, because I've worked in a number of organizations and it's like you talk to the people who are putting the data in the system and they have, you know, they have timelines. They've got to get X amount in done. They find out from a friend, oh, you just hit tab and you can bypass this this idiot field that's driving you crazy. Right. Nobody concerned about what that field actually means to somebody else, right? And I think this is where we run into the most difficulties because a lot of companies are still organized around what is referred to, I think, as draconian. You know, it's a forced down on top of people. 
And I can honestly tell you, myself included, you force stuff on top of people, they're going to do the minimum necessary to meet the requirement. So you have to make it a value add for them, not a value demand situation, right? It's not a punishment. It's this makes us better. This makes your job better in the long run. You know, people are going to like that they got data from your system that comes through to them and means exactly what you said it would mean. And this attribute's filled in 99% of the time, right? Yeah. Chris Riccamini on his episode talked about um, how producers don't even know, right? Like they, they have no idea of, oh, we're going to drop that column or we're going to change the meaning of this and that they don't, they don't have the tooling right now to understand it. And so we, if we shove the ownership onto them, then either they don't care and, and because they can't, because they have to evolve their operational system or they have analysis paralysis because they say, I can't change this because it might break something for someone. But I have no idea what or how or when or, you know, yeah. any of that. Sure. And it's, I mean, ran to it with one client several months ago. The They're moving on to an SAS system over on AWS. And the vendor for that system took away an attribute because it didn't have correct meaning of what they had intended it for. So they took it away from several different objects. They didn't tell anybody. We tried to find it in their release notes. <laughs> and it's like, really? <laughs> and people had built hard-coded ETL around that attribute. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, being able to tell people, right? This is why, you know, data warehouses had data analysts who profiled source systems. And then, you know, when you saw source systems change, they reprofiled the data to find out what changed what did, did it did it did you take things away did you add more stuff did you maybe move it apart into separate objects right and i think this is one of the problems that data mesh as a building a domain data product is going to cause is how does the producer understand how to document change within their system because they've got to do the change Right. Maybe it's just as something as simple as an application upgrade and the application changes an object. Right. They don't have control of that and they really do need to meet a deadline of getting that new implementation change in. How do they publish out that it's different? Right. How do they know to even care to publish it out? Right. And I think this is where we talk about, you know, it's back to the information trading. Right. How do you let people know downstream? You don't know if it's going to impact them, but how do you let them know so they can make a decision? This is an impact. Well, and, and I've been talking about, I think every consumer of uh, a data product should have to register that they are a consumer and they have to register their use case. And part of that is not like, from a gatekeeping standpoint, but it's so that way we can more easily track downstream and that then the person who's the producer can go, oh, you're looking at this from this perspective. Actually, a better way would be this or, 
oh, hey, we are making this change. And, you know, especially, uh, you know, we don't want to be making, we want upstream changes to not break what we're sharing, right? And so we want to make it so that the producers can actually understand what would break and things like that. But especially when you think about like getting data from an external source, if that, oh, yeah. if that changes, <laughs> Oh yes. <laughs> breaking change, right? Like you don't have any option and it might be on very limited um, time frame. And so having the, these communications and having like, Consumers need to have empathy for the producers and say, like, this is difficult. One one of the things that I've seen, uh, and, and this is a big thing for a couple of these, you know, quote unquote data influencers, which, you know, kind of roll my eyes at about, but that there is this, okay, you know, domains now own the data. We're shoving the ownership onto them instead of enabling them to own it. We're enabling, we're working with them because it's not a one or a zero. Yes, you're going to have to have ownership of this, but that's six, nine, 12 months down the road that you're going to be kind of fully owning it and we'll still be here as a backstop if you have questions, if you have challenges and things like that. We're not going to do the work for you because then that's going to lead to central data ownership again, but we're going to work with you. We're going to make sure that you can actually do this and that you know, for far too much, there's now this, like, the data people have the power to force these other people and to share the data that they want. You need to now share all this data that everybody else in the organization wants, and we're not making it, we're not incenting them. We're not making it valuable for them. And that's kind of where I think we need to go with the vendors, too, of, like, have everybody go, okay, well, then we're going to start to move off of you. We're going to you know, we're going to start to do this if the vendors aren't participating in helping this out, right? Like in, in sharing much more of their metadata. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you, you know, you're getting to the point, what you're talking about is, do we consider the data money? If you start thinking about the data from a monetization perspective, and some, some, some companies do this, that, you know, they market their data. It's been sanitized into a very specific format. Certain things have been removed or masked or obfuscated or whatever, but they market their data and it's part of their monetary stream as an income package. Well, if we started thinking about that internally, you'd start seeing a difference in the way people viewed it because now it's worth it to you to go to that producer and say, this would enhance the data for me. If you can tell me this stuff about the data, right? Because I can't use your package if you suddenly change the shape of the package. It won't fit through my front door, right? Um, and I think, you know, that has other consequences because if somebody registers that they're using a data product in a domain-driven design environment and you watch their consumption of that data product and for three months, Everything looks hunky-dory. They're pulling it every day. And then all of a sudden, it starts going down to it's once a week. And within four or five months, now they're down to like maybe it gets looked at once a month. Do you really need the data product? If nobody else is using it except that one requirer, 
maybe they don't need it anymore. Maybe they were doing a project, a small internal project to do some heavy duty analysis. And now all of a sudden, you know, somebody goes and looks at it, but nobody actually uses it anymore. Is it worth it to even keep it around? Right. Or at least move it off into lower cost environment. Yeah. Product management, right? Like that there, these have a life cycle. Historically data hasn't had a life cycle. Right. It, it's it, once this report is being created, it has to be created for eternity. And it's like, that's not the way we need to be thinking about this because and, and it might be even that the consumer wants the thing to continue going forward. But it's like that no longer reflects reality. So, you know, I can't in good conscience share this with you anymore because of this. But let's talk about what what we can create that would be a value to you. And that that's a weird conversation that hasn't happened, right? Historically, it hasn't been the thing. It's been kind of, we publish what we publish and, or you request what you request and you get what we kind of understood. And uh, that's why so many things have failed versus like, let's partner together. Let's, let's collaborate, collaboratively negotiate. You know, you're saying you need this in real time. What does real time actually mean? Oh, okay. You are going to pull this once a day. And you want to pull it at 8 a.m. Uh, you know Eastern? Okay, then we need to have this with a timeliness of like one hour. So at 7 a.m. Eastern, that's when it's going to refresh. And so, but we don't have to then be you know streaming this in real time and and 10xing the cost or whatever. So exactly. Yeah. So. Well, uh, Chris, this has been a, a great conversation. Um, you know, we covered a whole lot. Is there anything we didn't cover that you think we should have or any way that you'd want to kind of wrap up the episode? I think the only statement I would make is the same statement I made to my internal presentation a few weeks ago is data that's used by for one requirement is not how you make money. If you want real value out of your data, it's reused by another group it's reused from somebody other than who requested it data reuse is how you get real value for the business yeah well and and that everybody's on the same page too right and that it's not custom each time and that you have kind of good perspectives that people can generate so um i'm sure there's gonna there's going to be a lot of people that would like to follow up with you Where's kind of the the best place to do that and uh, anything specific you'd like them following up about? Uh, they can either contact me on via LinkedIn or they can actually they could reach me at my business email, which is charles.dove at endava.com, E-N-D-A-V-A dot com. And I'll drop those links in the show notes as well. So that will make it uh, easy for folks. And then, um, well, again, I, Chris, thank you so much for spending the time here today. And uh, thank you as well, everyone out there for listening. Thank you. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Chris Dove, a data architect at Endava. You can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking 
into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one off or a month to month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one on one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.